fun is at the essence, in some ways, one of the most critical things. Like if you do a bunch of stuff and say, okay, now I'm going to go have fun, you're kind of screwing yourself. Like why not configure your whole life to try to be oriented around the notion of fun, knowing that you're going to have lots of things in your life that are screwed up, that are painful, that are a drag, but that's okay. So that you really can incorporate happiness, fun, enjoyment into as much as possible. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Today, we're fortunate to have Brad Feld. He's an entrepreneur, blogger, speaker, author, and the man behind Feld.com. He is the co-founder and managing director at the Foundry Group, a venture capital firm that focuses its investments in early stage information technology, software, and internet startup companies across North America. Brad has been an early stage investor and entrepreneur for 20 years, and he has been active in a number of nonprofit organizations. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Brad, one question I like to ask everybody on the show is what is the best concert that you have ever been to? Billy Squire when I was like 15 years old. Outstanding. Now, I I can't remember whether he opened for Foreigner or Foreigner opened for him. Do you have a Billy Squire song of choice? No. No. Fair enough. Okay. Let's roll into blank versus blank. I'll give you a couple of options and if you'd be willing to pick one and a short reason why. And this topic is more fun in the morning. The smell of asparagus versus tearing the shower handle off of the wall. Definitely the smell of asparagus. (laughs) How how did you fix that shower handle? (laughs) I peed on it. (laughs) And it smelled like asparagus. All right. Let's do finish this sentence. I'm going to give you the beginning of a sentence if you'd be willing to complete it. If you ever need an iPhone 5 charger in downtown Las Vegas, blank. Tweet about it. (laughs) You got a lot of good answers. Tweet about your need. Yeah. Craig Montori ended up being the first person to hand me one. I learned a good trick, which is just to go to the front desk of the hotel and say you lost your iPhone 5 charger because they apparently have hundreds of them because uh, everybody loses their iPhone 5 charger and lost and found gets it. And then uh, Walgreens also sells them. So those were the answers to that one. That's great advice. Did you actually get a charger from Lost and Found? No. So Craig lent me his. Another guy at the conference lent me his. And then I, on the way back from one of the events, I stopped in Walgreens and paid 30 bucks for one. Good enough. <laughs> 30 bucks. How was the Up Global Summit? It was great. I've been on the board of uh, Up Global for a while. It, it used to be called Startup Weekend. And uh, Startup Weekend and Startup America Partnership merged. <laughs> and the new organization is called Up Global. And we had our annual summit where about 500 of the leaders from around the world came. And it's an amazing organization. The Startup Weekend phenomena has been incredible. And many of the other programs that Up Global has done, which now include things like Startup Digest and Startup Week, are really having a lot of impact on entrepreneurship all over the world. So it was fun. Outstanding. All right. So last to finish this sentence, if you ever challenge me to an after-dinner game of Connect Four, <laughs> blank. You will get crushed. <laughs> Said in great humility. All right. So uh, you've traveled recently to Las Vegas. You're on a mission to finish a marathon in each of the 50 states. How near or far are you accomplishing this goal? Well, I've done 23, so I'm about halfway. Mm -hmm. I haven't done a marathon since fall of 2012, so my pace has slowed down. Originally, I was planning on doing them by the time I was 50. I started when I was in my 
30s. And when I was in my 30s, it seemed like it was realistic to get all 50 done by the time I was 50. I'm now 48. So it's pretty clearly not realistic at this point. And so I released that constraint. And I just decided I was going to get them done and get them done. So I enjoy the experience of running marathons. My wife and I love to go to, you know, different places in the country. It's a good way to see, you know, cities that we've never been to before. You know, I'll probably do a couple this year. Excellent. So I think you said something that's interesting there. You released that constraint. It's common, I'm sure, for people to set high lofty goals and sometimes those are attainable and then sometimes you have to shift. So what's your advice to that listener who is finding themselves, hey, I I may have to shift here? Well, first of all, recognize that just because you have to shift or release a constraint or, you know, using uh, software entrepreneurship vernacular, you know, fail fast or pivot. Those are just incremental changes along the way on a larger arc. And so it's always important to step back and think about, A, have you set realistic expectations and goals when you realize that you're not going to achieve the goal in the time frame? You know, question one, do you still want to achieve the goal? Because a lot of times you'll learn things along the way that cause you to step back and say, no, this is actually not an important goal anymore. If you do want to continue to achieve the particular goal, doing a reset on when you think you can actually achieve it by, based on all the information you've gotten, not just about the work required, but also the other things going on, you know, that are competing for your time and attention, adding all of that together ends up being a very rational way to reevaluate uh, time frames. Brad, you've admitted that you're a voracious reader, and on your site, you've got a page of all the books you've read over the years, and I think it's roughly over 500 that you've listed there, which blows me away. Out of all those books that you've read, name just one or two that really stick out to you. Well, one of the books that I find most powerful, and I read it every couple of years, something that I think every entrepreneur should read is a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It was written in the 1970s by a guy named Robert Piercig, and it's it's a bunch of different things. But for me, as somebody who's been involved in building and creating lots of things, it's really about the notion of quality and what's important in your own value system about how you attack and address problems. The subtitle of the book is An Inquiry into Values. And it's just very, very, you know, mix of philosophical, historical, but also very forward thinking, deep approach that the main character took to exploring his own way of thinking as he was going crazy. So it's, it's this interesting mix of rational and irrational blended. That's one I put high up on my list. I love science fiction. I read a ton of science fiction. One of my favorite science fiction writers is a guy named William Hurtling, who's now written a couple of books. And if you're interested in what I like to call near-term science fiction, so science fiction that's going to happen within the next five to 10 years, I think William and, and another fellow, Daniel Suarez, are the two best at that. Um, so I'd recommend anything by either of them. Brad, for those who are listening who may not be familiar with your work and they're interested in starting their own business someday, what would be another book aside from Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance that they could also check out? Well, I've written a number of books at this point, and the two that are probably most useful to a first-time entrepreneur, one is a book called Do More Faster, which I wrote with David Cohen, who's the CEO of Techstars. David and I co-founded Techstars together with two other people, Jared Polis and uh, David Brown. And I don't know, three years into Techstars, we wrote Do More Faster. The other book is a book called Venture Deals, How to Be Smarter Than Your Lawyer and Venture Capitalist, which I wrote with one of my partners at Foundry Group, Jason Mendelson. And our goal with this book was to really demystify the process of fundraising, of doing a venture-type financing or a seed or angel-type financing. We spend some time in the book going through the nuts and bolts and the legals of it, but we spend a lot of time talking about the characteristic of the funding process, what motivates VCs, what motivates angel investors, a short section on how to negotiate, stuff like that. Cool. 
Brad, you're in Boulder, Colorado, and Boulder has the highest entrepreneurial concentration in the world. So in your book, Startup Communities, you mentioned the Boulder Thesis. What is the Boulder Thesis? So the Boulder Thesis is a set of four principles that I believe if you apply to your community, you can build a startup community or a strong entrepreneurial ecosystem in any city. The four principles are that the startup community has to be led by entrepreneurs, The second is that they have to take a very long-term view, like to say at least 20 years. The third is that they have to be inclusive of anyone who wants to engage in the startup community at any level. And the fourth is that you have to have continuous activities and events that engage the entire entrepreneurial stack. And in the book, Startup Communities, I go very deep into each of those four principles, along with a number of other things. And my goal when I put the Boulder Thesis together was to have something that was very simple that anyone in any place in the world could grab onto in the effort of starting to crank up a sustainable startup community. And I use the word sustainable in an important modifying way here is that creating a startup community is not a big deal. Having it sustain over a long period of time and continue to build is quite challenging. Brad, in your book, The Startup Life, you touched on your personal experiences with your wife as you try to balance your personal life and your career. So what advice do you have for listeners who are entrepreneurs or they're still in that day job and they're aspiring to break away from that, but they're having that challenge of balancing the work and their personal life? First thing to note is I don't believe that the goal of balance is the right goal. I've been referring to it lately as work-life harmony. Mm. And I use the word harmony to try to be convey this notion of jazz and especially improv jazz where there is this harmony between instruments, but there's a lot of improvisation along the way. Lots of things ebb and flow. You're constantly responding to whatever the other person is doing. And it's not that it's balanced. It's that there's these two things are interconnected with each other. In terms of specific things, and relating to your partner, if you're the entrepreneur, it's important to recognize that you spend much of your day being the center of attention, being the center of the universe, having everything revolve around you. And when you come home and you spend time with your partner, you should explicitly not be the center of the universe. If anything, have your partner be the center of the universe. I think it's a default that happens with a lot of entrepreneurs, which is that they come home and they immediately start talking about what happened to them, which is can be interesting in certain situations, but is not a particularly effective way to connect with the person who is your beloved or the person that you're sort of closest to emotionally to immediately start dumping all these things that happen to you on. Another thing that I talk about, Amy and I talk about a lot in the book, is this idea of effective communication. And it may sound trite, but at the essence of every great relationship is a real understanding of how to communicate with the other party. And this is especially true in any sort of romantic or intimate relationship. And I think a lot of people just assume that they know how to communicate versus actually understand how the other person both gives and receives information, what they need, what matters to them. And fundamentally, as the entrepreneur, making sure that your words and your actions match up. An example of that is for many years, I would tell Amy that she was the most important person in my life. And we'd be out to dinner or be doing something and my phone would ring and I'd pick it up without even looking at who was calling and immediately answer even if she was in the middle of a sentence. That does not reinforce the notion that she's the most important person to me. So that's a simple example of it, but there's a long, long list of things that happen and often entrepreneur in a relationship perpetuates that undermine the words that you're actually saying and frankly, the intent that you think you feel that your actions are not supporting. 
Brad, you also recommend installing an Emmett Culligan sculpture at your home? Yeah, we have a uh, nice catch. Emmett Culligan is an <laughs> artist. Uh, Amy and I give each other a gift. We have something we call life dinner. So on the first day of every month, we have dinner together. Every now and then we miss it. So actually tonight we're having our June 1st life dinner, even though it's June 3rd. This is not date night. If you're a software engineer out there, this is our agile planning process. So we, we do a retrospective of the previous 30 days and we do a analysis uh, and discussion about basically sprint planning for our next two sprints for the rest of the upcoming month. So it gives us a chance to have a safe environment to talk about whatever is on our minds. As part of that, we give each other a gift. And so in May, I gave Amy a gift of an Emmett Culligan sculpture. And uh, (laughs) she loved it so much that she ended up giving me one in June. So now we have two Emmett Culligan sculptures. Excellent. Is there a framework that you follow for that weekly dinner? Month, or for, excuse me, for the month monthly dinner? dinner? No, there's there's not really a tight framework. I would say that the conversational part of the dinner can go anywhere from three minutes to three hours. And sometimes the check-in is very lightweight. We both are happy. We've been talking a lot about what's going on. We feel very aligned. And then there are other times where there's been stuff building up over the last you know two, three weeks, something that's bothering one of us, something that we're individually struggling with. It could be about our relationship. It could be about things outside our relationship. And we give ourselves the permission to talk about whatever we want without retribution, without inappropriate reaction. It's very much putting ourselves in this position of being very vulnerable with each other. And we definitely have dinners where there's plenty of tears and awkwardness from the wait staff who's waiting for us to stop whatever's going on between us so that they can bring our next course. And then there's other times where we're just happy and there's plenty of laughter. There are some dinners where we come up with some goals for the next month that are very specific. And there's others where we're like, Yeah, we're in a good place. Let's just keep rolling. That's outstanding. Brad, the name of this show is Start of the Doubts. How do you overcome your self-doubt? I stared in the face and just go hard after it. There's a great parable. A friend of mine, Jerry Colonna, who's super successful venture capitalist, now turned CEO coach, told me, and I'm not going to get the parable exactly right, but it essentially ends with a person's in the cave with a bunch of his demons. He sort of systematically tries to eliminate the demons one by one, and he gets rid of almost all the demons except for one last demon that he can't seem to get rid of. And this is the biggest, scariest demon that he's got, and he's tried all kinds of different things to get the demon to leave the cave, trick the demon, kill the demon, and nothing works. And finally, he just goes up to the demon and he puts his head in the mouth of the demon and says, eat me if you will. And Mm -hmm. when he does that, the demon vanishes. Mm -hmm. And so it's this metaphor of just confront your fears. Don't avoid them. Don't suppress them. Don't deny them. Just confront them. And many of the times, just the mere act of confronting them will cause them to go away. Man, well said. I think you hit on something important earlier. You talked about not being on your phone when you're with Amy. And it's so common to see people just being distracted with being on their mobile devices or just doing whatever. What advice do you have for people who are being distracted or numbing themselves or preventing themselves from addressing that demon? Systematically carve out time away from the stimuli. So the minimum, create rhythms for yourself throughout the day, week, month, year that you can use to disconnect. So one example would be I've started doing something. I started about a year and a half ago and about a year ago at this point, something called digital Sabbath. So from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, I don't do any email. 
It's not that I don't do any work. Sometimes I write. But a lot of times I just completely disconnect from anything electronic. Another example, something that I encourage everybody that goes through Techstars for the 90-day program to do is do something for themselves for up to an hour every day, 30 minutes to an hour. They like to work out, go to the gym every day. If you like to do yoga, do yoga every day. If you like ice cream, go get an ice cream cone every day. But do it by yourself for yourself. If you're into science fiction, watch an episode of Battlestar Galactica for every day. And by the end of the program, you'll have watched the entire series. So it's it doesn't matter what it is, but it's giving yourself a moment, a time and space that's long enough for your brain to start to relax a little. If you're in a relationship, same kind of thing. Amy and I do something we call four minutes in the morning. So when whichever one of us wakes up last, the other person stops what they're doing and we spend four minutes together, just waking up together, just sitting on the couch and petting the dog or whatever we feel like. And sometimes, you know, sitting on the couch together turns into something that takes longer than four minutes. And that's good too. But you just give yourself some time and space away from the urgent, away from the stimuli. The other thing that I think people, especially if you're a creative person working on something, whether it's writing a book or art or music or writing software or deep in a project that requires a lot of focus and attention, making sure that you understand that you need to have uninterrupted time to work on that. So you really can't try to write a book while you're checking your email every five minutes. You might not be able to write for eight hours a day, but if you can write for an hour a day or two hours a day in a row, you might have two or three blocks during the day where you can get some really productive work on the book done. But if your email is constantly popping up while you're doing that, you'll make no progress. And the same is true of your phone, right? If you write a couple of uh, sentences and then check your phone to see what's going on or look at Facebook, it doesn't work. So carving out time and being intentional about how you carve out that time is so important. Brad, as we start to wrap up, who is doing something that interests you? Well, I'm deeply, deeply intrigued with the interaction between humans and machines. So I believe that we're on a part of a curve where integration between humans and machines is accelerating. And I don't know whether the future holds computer-enhanced humans or human-enhanced computers, but I think the integration between humans and computers are going to be very, very deep. So I'm completely fascinated with companies that are working on that, whether it's a company like Fitbit, which I'm an investor in, which is very focused on human instrumentation health management or a company like Mod Robotics, which makes a product called Moss. That's essentially a robotic construction kit. I mean, these things, which for many, many years, we've, there's lots of different things people have talked about around it. But finally, that computer integration with the physical world is starting to happen in such a way that the software is the driver, but the hardware and that integration really matters. The other thing that I have become very fascinated about, my partners and I at Foundry with a fellow named Dave McDonald started a publishing company called FG Press. And I've written now five books and I've been involved in a bunch of other publishing related projects. And I'm really intrigued with how bad the traditional publishing industry is at connecting the reader and the writer. So that sort of author reader link is completely broken. And one of the things we're trying to do with FG Press is really produce high quality, long form content, but do it in such a way to reinforce the reader-author connection. So that's some of the things I've been working on that I've been very interested in. Brad, what's the best place for the listeners to connect with you online? Probably two places. One is Feld.com, where you know I write on a regular basis. Twitter, I'm at BFeld. And then my email address is just Brad at Feld.com. So if there's something specific that is sparked from this conversation, email me. I try to respond to all the email I get. Excellent. Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? 
Something that came up in a conversation I had today, I'm working on a project with some folks around an app they're going to release around work-life harmony. And it's one piece of this sort of larger self-help app that's coming out. And the question that was asked to me was, what was the role of fun in all of this and how important was fun? And my reaction was that fun is at the essence, in some ways, one of the most critical things. Like if you do a bunch of stuff and say, okay, now I'm going to go have fun, you're kind of screwing yourself. Like why not configure your whole life to try to be oriented? oriented around the notion of fun, knowing that you're going to have lots of things in your life that are screwed up, that are painful, that are a drag, but that's okay. So that you really can incorporate happiness, fun, enjoyment into as much as possible. Brad, congratulations on Techstars and the Foundry Group and just all the cool things that you're up to. Best wishes to you and Amy. Thank you. Thanks, Jared. Creating a startup community is not a big deal. Having it sustain over a long period of time and continue to build is quite challenging.